Welcome to the Converge Community Church Podcast, where we provide for you the previous Sunday morning sermon. And now without further ado, may the Holy Spirit minister to your heart as you hear the preaching of God's Word. We're going to be back in Matthew this morning. Does it feel like a long time since we've been in the book of Matthew? We've, we had this uh, Advent series that we went through in the book of Isaiah, and there's a lot of ways that we try to tie it back into Matthew because they, they kind of do connect with one another. Um, but now we're jumping back into this narrative that Matthew wrote. It's, it's a gospel. It's a story of Jesus and we're, we're jumping, actually, we're hitting the ground running here because the passage that we're going through this morning, it's, it's a pretty challenging passage. And so as, as we work through it, uh, you could actually be praying for me as, you, as we work through this because it'll, there, one is there's no way we're going to cover everything. The questions that we have, the difficulties with this passage, we're not going to probably be able, you do not want me to try to cover everything. Let's just put it that way. And, um, and it will be tempting for, for me also to, to go off, shoot a, into different areas and different topics. And so pray for me that I stay focused as well. Um, but we are in Matthew chapter 9, verses 1 through 12. And we're going to be talking about similar topics, but kind of two different topics here or ideas. And I think this is really important for us to understand that when we read this passage, there's two different topics that, that we're talking about. One is marriage and divorce, that issue, and the other one is singleness. Now, they do relate, but, but these are the two issues. So this is the title of the message this morning. It's God's gift of marriage and singleness. That's kind of the overarching idea here that we're going to see, that, that they're both gifts, and hopefully we'll be able to kind of figure those two out as we work through this passage. But before we do, let me kind of give you an overview of the book of Matthew, and I'll do this quickly, but we try to warm up our brains when it comes to where we're at in this narrative about Jesus and his gospel. Uh, so the whole idea that, that we're trying to get across here, that I think Matthew's trying to get across here is to follow the promised king into his kingdom, right? Follow the promised king. Who's the promised king? It is Jesus. It was promised from the Old Testament, and we actually looked at passages in, in the book of Isaiah, these prophecies that pointed forward to this promised king, and now Matthew's unpacking this. Here he is, this promised king, and throughout the gospel, Matthew continually mentions uh, through the teaching of Jesus this kingdom of heaven. That's the gospel, actually, that Jesus preaches, that he starts to share with the people. It's repent, turn, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. It is, it is here, it's coming, and so turn and, and follow me into this kingdom. Now, uh, throughout, uh, throughout this gospel of Matthew, I'm going to kind of break it down into um, a little bit for you. There's five, what we call five discourses, five messages that Jesus gives throughout this text. And that's kind of how we can break down 
Matthew. It's five different discourses, and we've gone through four already, okay? So the first one was the Sermon on the Mount. And in that, he's talking to the disciples and he's talking to crowds. The second discourse, he's, it's specifically to the disciples and it's commissioning them to go out and do the same ministry that he's doing. The third one is where he's giving all these parables about the kingdom of heaven. Okay, so that's the message that he's been preaching throughout but he's giving them in parables. And then in the fourth one, he's talking about, I think it's kind of going back to the Sermon on the Mount in some ways and talking about forgiveness and, and the heart behind forgiveness um, and, and engaging with people and relationships. And that's kind of brings us to chapter 19. He just got, he just finished with this long discourse. Okay. And now we're in chapter 19. And with that, let me read this for us. And if we can stand together in honor of reading the word, hearing the word. This is Matthew chapter 19, verses 1 through 12. It says this, Now when Jesus had finished these sayings, he went away from Galilee and entered the region of Judea beyond the Jordan. And large crowds followed him, and he healed them there. And Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? He answered, have you not read that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. They said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and send her away? And he said to them, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, and marries another, commits adultery. The disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. But he said to them, not everyone can receive this saying, but only those to whom it is given. For there are eunuchs who have been, who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have been made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this receive it. Heavenly Father, as we, as we look through this passage, uh, Lord, I pray for clarity. I pray that you would speak to us. Uh, these are challenging words. And there's a lot of temptations to go off in different directions. Um, this is an emotional topic. Uh, it affects our lives in specific ways. And so, Lord, I just pray that uh, this would be something where, Lord, you would speak, that we wouldn't wallow in shame and guilt and just sit there in it if there's anything that it that we're convicted by, but Lord, that this would be a message that we would understand both in truth, but also 
in grace. So we may we receive that as we look through your word. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. All right. So basically, I broke this, down, this passage down into two different sections. And it kind of comes down to this. When you're looking at this, remember, this is a narrative. This is a story that Matthew is telling about what occurred with Jesus. He's the main character, but with actually two different groups of people. One is this interaction to this conversation that he's having with Pharisees. And I think that's really important for us to understand is uh, the context behind this, this conversation. And that's going to be a little bit different than the next conversation that he has with the disciples. Okay, So the Pharisees are asking about this issue of marriage and divorce. And then later, the, the, the disciples kind of jump in, and they're actually asking a question about singleness, marriage and singleness. So there's, you, we kind of have to maybe separate these in a way in these two categories. Okay, so that's, that's how we're going to approach this passage. So number one is the question about divorce. This is verses one through nine. Now, the first two verses are more like setting the stage, right? So Jesus just got done with this discourse, with this time of preaching, and then he actually leaves. He goes off to another area, and he um, actually, through that, continues to draw a crowd. And we've seen this throughout the book of Matthew. Anywhere he goes, word gets out. People want to be healed and so they, they find him, and he starts drawing a crowd. And so he's healing. And, of course, he's drawing in these people called Pharisees. Now, we've heard about these Pharisees before. And, and this is kind of how I like to separate this and make a distinction, because I think Matthew does this. Matthew makes a distinction between the disciples, the crowds, and the Pharisees. These groups or character groups pop up all over the place in the book of Matthew. It seems as though when you read about the disciples, these are the ones who hear the teaching of Jesus, hear the gospel, and when Jesus calls them, he, he calls them, they follow. They drop everything and they follow him. So those are the disciples. The crowds, it seems as though when Jesus goes out, he starts doing ministry like healing and casting out demons. And through that ministry, crowds start to gather that they have a need and and it's actually a good need right i mean uh people who are sick uh people who are demon possessed it's like this is one who can heal let's 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 find him and so he starts drawing a crowd that way and he uses that as an opportunity to teach to them about the kingdom of heaven so you have those two groups and then you have these pharisees these are the religious leaders of the time and and they see Jesus, and he's teaching like no one else has taught. He has authority over nature. He has authority over the spiritual realm. And they're like, who is this guy? And of course, he, he's drawing crowds, and they're not really drawing the same kind of crowds. So there's probably some intimidation. And, and so it, it comes to the point where uh, there's a point in the Gospel of Matthew where Matthew tells us, the Pharisees are out to destroy Jesus. They don't like what he's teaching. 
They're intimidated by him. They see him as a threat. And so it's like, we need to take this guy down. Okay. And I think that's very important when we come to verse three. It says this, Pharisees came up to him and tested him by asking, is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? Matthew here is giving us a clue of the intentions behind this question. Remember, these are Pharisees that want to destroy Jesus. And here's the thing. They've probably, they've probably heard his teaching. They probably know what he's about. They probably know, like, uh, if, if we can get him to answer the question in a, in a certain way, we got him. Right? So in some ways, this is kind of like a trap. We can see this as, as a trap. In fact, how they structured this question kind of tells us we, there's probably a trap in this somewhere. So look at how they asked the question. Is it lawful to divorce one's wife for any cause? And that's the key word there is any. Is it lawful to divorce your wife for any cause? And how I, I see this is they're kind of asking a policy question, right? How, when is the time to divorce and when is the time not to divorce? And, and in a way, when you're asking that question, you're getting down to the details. And it's kind of like this here. An example that, I, um, that I've thought of is, you know, like if um, someone's testifying in court and the lawyer, you know, who's good with words, um, and they're cross-examining, so it's, it's not a good kind of questioning, but it's trying, it's, it's trying to trap them. They're going to ask a question in such a way where their answer is going to trap them, and then it's the, ah, gotcha. So it's that kind of idea that I think is going on here. The Pharisees are coming to him. The crowd's probably around them. People are listening. The disciples seem to be listening. And so they ask this question in such a way to try to trap Jesus. All right. And so here's the thing. I think this was also a controversial question of the time. So in that time, during that time, there was two schools of thought when it came to divorce and remarriage. And um, there, it was, one was very strict and said, hey, you know what? Basically, there is no grounds to divorce. Just w when you marry, that's it. And then there was a more uh, liberal, more open, and, and to such an extent where it was, hey, if uh, your wife burnt, your, burnt the cooking, you know, burnt the chicken, burnt the stew, grounds for divorce. So there's this really strict uh, view. I loved how when I said that, wives looked to their husbands, like smiling. Um, but... Uh, yeah, so there was a real strict view, and there was a, little, a very liberal view, and they kind of asked the question in such a way where, okay, now, Jesus, take a side. Take a side. Now, how does Jesus respond to this? I think this is really inter interesting in how Jesus responds to this, because I think he knew this was a trap. So look at how he responds. Verse 4 through 6. He answered, have you not read 
that he who created them from the beginning made them male and female and said, therefore, a man shall leave his father and his mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. What therefore God has joined together, let not man separate. Whoa. There's, there's two things here that I think we need to address. Number one is that Jesus is going back to creation and showing how marriage was designed by God. And therefore, because it was God given, it is good. This was from the very beginning, something God created. It's, it's a natural thing for two to come together and become one. It was created, designed by God. Therefore, it's good. It is good because it is through the marriage relationship. We fulfill God's command to be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. So we have been intentionally designed for a marriage relationship, which unites us together as husband and wife. And it's this union that families are created. It's, it's an institution of marriage that is, it's, it's the best set. It's the best setup for children, right? For, for us to have children, for them to thrive. And therefore, if they thrive, if the family thrives, our society thrives. Okay? So I'm kind of pulling this out a little bit, and this is, I'm getting into dangerous territory because I can go off. We can talk about this issue of marriage and divorce and, and all that entails for months. But this is, this is kind of a picture of something that I think is really important that Jesus is going to, is that marriage is a foundational institution that was designed by God from the very beginning, and it is good. And out of that design, we see purpose. So when we create, we, we're creatures that create. We were made in the image of God. God creates, and therefore we are creators as well. We create for reasons. There's purpose behind our creations that we do, that we make, right? And so in the same way, God designed us and created us for a purpose. Marriage is part of that. It's foundational for his command that he gives in Genesis. It's the very first command, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. How we were designed is good. Uh, this, this idea of being united, being one is good, and it's for this purpose of filling the earth. Okay. So this is God's good design. It was his purpose for marriage from the very beginning. And since God designed it for us, it's to be joined together. Therefore, since God designed it that way, let not man separate. This, it's good. This is, this is the ideal. This is what it's supposed to be like. Let not man separate it then. That's kind of the idea of it coming from, you know, this was at the beginning, this was the intentions. This was the ideal. But there's a problem. And it's a problem that the Pharisees unknowingly raise in verse 7. 
Okay, so basically Jesus is saying, um, let me, so he's, he's saying it strongly, isn't he? Right? And it's kind of like this idea of, whoa, this is a very conservative, very strict um, concept. Like, whoa, so no room for divorce? It's kind of, it sounds like that's what Jesus is saying. And the Pharisees take that. Look at how the Pharisees respond to this. They say, verse 7, they said to him, why then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away? So what did they just do there? What Jesus just said, they said, well, wait a minute, though. Look at what Moses did. Remember who Moses is, right? He was the one that was uh, um, anointed by God, right? God raised him up to be the leader of Israel, to, to bring them out of Egypt, right? He, he brought them to the mountain where, where the law was written and given to them. Like Moses is the man. This, is who, this was the leader of leaders. This is the one who has given us the law that we follow. Are you contra- contradicting him, right? They're putting Moses against Jesus, and in that way, it's almost like a, ah, gotcha. From his answer, they're going, oh, okay, well, Moses said this, though. What are you going to do about that, right? This is kind of like uh, checkmate. Boom, gotcha. Look at how Moses, or look at how Jesus responds to this. Verse 8, and he said to them, so the question is, is uh, why Then did Moses command one to give a certificate of divorce and to send her away. Jesus' response, because of your hardness of heart, Moses allowed you to divorce your wives. But from the beginning, it was not so. Okay, I think this is kind of like a mic drop moment. It's interesting that he points it to them, right? Because of whose hardness of heart? Yours. Because of your hardness of heart, that's why Moses allowed for divorce. So let me give you examples of this because when he's, it's kind of like what Jesus is doing here is he's in this discussion at this point, he kind of takes a mirror and says, this is why. And he puts the mirror up in front of them. (laughs) This is why. And he's forcing them or he's pointing out that they need to be looking at themselves for the cause of this separation, man separating, you know, this idea of divorce. And you can kind of um, bring this back to what we call the human nature, the nature. um, It's the sinful nature that we have. This is what he's pointing out to them. And this is, so it's, it's not just, hey, you Pharisees, it is, it's all of humanity here. That's, that's what he's trying to point out. So let me give you some examples of this or some illustrations. One is going back to Exodus during the time uh, of Moses and the Israelites when he's leading them out of Egypt. <clears throat> Remember, there's a time where he goes up to this mountain to um, to fellowship with the Lord, to engage with the Lord. And when he's gone, the Israelites 
feel like they're lost. They don't know what to do. And so they say, uh, hey, let's make a golden calf. That'll be our God. Like instantly, when God leads them out of Egypt, they turn away to an idol and want to worship a golden calf. And God comes down and sees what they're doing. And he's like, are you kidding me? <laughs> right? And he says, it's interesting. He says, um, the Lord says to Moses, it's kind of like, kind of see this picture of Moses and him coming down together, right? And they see the chaos. It's kind of like, you know, when mom and dad walk into the house and see the chaos, like we told you not to, and you walk in and there's chaos. God looks over to Moses and he says, I've, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. These people are stiff necked. And it's another visual of this hardness of heart that they have. That the things of God and what God deems as good, they're like, nah, let's go a different direction. And this is exactly what Jesus is revealing. The stiff neck or hardness of heart. The other example is in Matthew chapter 15. This is when the disciples, I think they're going through a field and they're, they're eating off of the grain, they're eating the grain and their hands are dirty. And the Pharisees come or the religious leaders come and go, oh, they're not washing their hands. They're unclean. And they're not talking about health issues. They're talking more of like a spiritual thing. Like uh, this, is, this is sinful to do that. It's wrong to do that. How dare they eat without washing their hands first? And Jesus responds back to them like this. He says, uh, verse 17, do you not see that whatever goes into the mouth passes into the stomach and is expelled? But what comes out of the mouth proceeds from the heart, and this defiles a person. For out of the heart come evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual, immorali sexual immorality, theft, false witness, slander. These are what defile a person. So it's these things that come out of us. Where do they come from? They come from our heart. So it's out of the heart that these things come, and this is what Jesus is pointing to. So it's not just a mirror that he's pointing, that he has in front of them. It's almost like an x-ray machine. This is what is in you, and this is why we have conflict, and this is why we have separation and divorce. It's because of sin. From the beginning, when there was no sin, it was not so. It was good. God gave it to us. But because of sin, now there is brokenness. So the issue is that our hearts are out of alignment with God's heart. And the result is brokenness. And that is not how God intended it to be. And so Jesus responds um, by putting this mirror in front of them. So sin takes, here's, here's kind of the point here, or a lesson behind it, is that sin takes God's good purpose and design and distorts it or twists it which in the end will ultimately break what God intended for good. So give, I'll, let me give you an example of this. So we, like I said, we create and we create for a purpose. So uh, a screwdriver, we, we make screwdrivers for what? For screwing screws, right? And that's its purpose. That's what it's designed to do. But what if you took that screwdriver, have you guys ever done this before and try to use it as a hammer? 
right? And you're like pounding it in. And of course, eventually what's going to happen? You're going to bust the screwdriver. It's going to break. Why? Because it was not designed that way. It was designed for a specific purpose. And in the same way, uh, this is why we see broken marriages today. This is why we have divorce. We, we are sinners, and therefore we tend to cause all kinds of distress and conflict and division instead of peace and unity. We tend to break apart what God had originally intended to unite together. So let me just step back and say this then. When we, when we look at our society today, when we look at our American culture, I find this really interesting. I think that um, the issue of marriage, the concept of marriage and its brokenness, the brokenness of marriage is what causes a lot of these dysfunctions that we see today. If, if this was from the very beginning, and this is foundational to build a family, which therefore builds a society, think of it this way. When you, you're married, uh, if you have, how many of you have two or more children? Okay. Now those children, how many of you have grandchildren? How many of you have more grandchildren than you do children? Right? It, it multiplies, doesn't it? And it can multiply pretty quick. Right? And so th that's the point here is, hey, it starts with two. That multiplies, but from that, it multiplies even greater. And so marriage is a foundation for society. And therefore, if the foundation is broken or bent or distorted, it's going to cause problems later, isn't it? This is the kind of thing, if you guys have ever built a house and built a foundation, I talk to contractors and builders, and they say, man, if you're off just by centimeters on the foundation, you're going to see it at the roof, right? You're going you're gonna to see those problems. And this is, this is what is, is being pointed out here. This is what Jesus, I think, is trying to communicate. Hey, listen, this is what it was like. This is what... This was the ideal, but sin came in and messed it all up. And now, because sin came in and messed it all up, we have to deal with it. There's, there's ways that we have to, and actually one way of dealing with it, it's not ideal, it's not perfect, but divorce and separation, that might have to happen. That might have to happen but it's because of sin, right? We don't live in a perfect world. So I think that's what Jesus is trying to express here. Now, um, Jesus isn't finished though. He's going to unpack it a little bit more. And he says this, and I say to you, whoever divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. Now, if you remember Back in chapter 5, Jesus actually mentions that same thing in a very similar way. So this is a statement he's said before. Now here's, um, I don't think I preached that passage here. I preached it at the other site. But this is what I think is really important because we can take this and say, oh, because of how he said it, and there's an exception there, this is the policy. 
we can turn this verse into a policy. And I don't think Jesus is meaning for this to be a policy, right? We, we like policies. Um, what policies do is if we find ourselves in a difficult situation, we can take the policy and read through it and be like, oh, this is the part that applies to us. So let's do it. Let's implement it. Here's the problem with policies, though, is that it doesn't fit every situation, right? It doesn't factor in all the other circumstances. And so it's very difficult, especially in one verse, to try to fit that into a policy that it fits all, everyone's circumstances, everyone's experiences. And so I think we need to be very careful to make turn this into some type of policy that Jesus is trying to make for people and, and, and how, to, how, how to understand or how to work through divorce and remarriage. So I think what we need to do is take a step back and try to figure out what is Jesus saying here? Because I think it's more of a theological truth that he's trying to unpack for us. Okay? And I think this is it right here. Um, here's the theological truth. It's, it has to do with the unity or the oneness that we have with our spouse. That the unity that we have, this oneness, is not trivial. This isn't just romantic language that some, you know, uh, the TV show The Bachelor, you know how it kind of sets up. Uh, so I, some of you, I'm sure, like The Bachelor. I, for me, I think the words that they use can be cheesy, and it's like, oh, come on, dude, really? Like, you know, there's, it, it, it almost feels like it's just contrived, and there's a, maybe a shallowness to it. This is not shallow. When Jesus says, or when God says the two become one flesh, it, he's not just trying to be romantic and making us, you know, oh, that's so sweet. It's not like, a, you know, the movie, I forgot, uh, McGuire, what's the movie, where he says at the end, you complete me. And, and then everyone weeps when they're watching that moment, you know? No, no, no. This is, this is actually, this is not trivial. This is truth. There's something true in this. And I would suggest to you this. This idea of union is, both, is, is physical, emotional, and spiritual, this idea of union is physical, emotional, and spiritual. So um, uh, I'm going to try to go through this quickly, but I think this is really important for us to, to work through. So let me pause for a minute. I just want to look and see how much time I'm going to give myself for the next section. All right. So what do I mean by that? When it comes to marriage, marriage or uh, the, the sexual relationship within marriage is unique. The act is unique because it is, I would say, the most intimate way you can engage with another human being. It's probably the most um, open 
and the most, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Exposed that you'll be with another person, which requires a great amount of trust with that other person. So there's this deep, intimate interaction you're having with someone else. So in that, that, that is, there's something beautiful about that. There's something unique about that. So it's, it's physical, there's an emotional connection, and there's a spiritual connection in a way. So we shouldn't, we shouldn't think of sexual relationship as something trivial or just something that we just do with anyone. Because it is, it is unique and it's so intimate. And so that's why God brings it into the marriage relationship and confines it into the institution of marriage. And here's the other beautiful thing about it. That act of, of love for the other person, because it's, it's, it's intimate, it's, it's connecting, it's emotional, it's, it's a way of expressing love. Here's the, th- this should blow our minds that it's out of that act, the, the result is another kind of love because it produces or potentially can produce children. And if you think of it this way, where the love of a parent to a child, there is nothing like it. It's, it's hard to ex- explain the kind of love, the type of love that a parent, a father or mother has for their child. It's different than between, you know, between uh, friends or between a wife and a husband. It's a different thing. And so there's something beautiful about this, that the marriage relationship and the act of the sexual relationship actually creates, well, creates life, human life, which is, whoa. It creates human life and it creates a love that we, it's, it's hard to even express. So this is, this is a wonderful, beautiful, holy, and sacred gift that God has given to humanity. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to communicate here. He's trying to, trying to give us a picture of how sacred this union is and how beautiful it is. It's not trivial. It's not just words. There's, there's depth in it, and there's, there's a real oneness in it that affects a, a, a lot of our the different aspects of our lives, right? And how we live and how we love. And so I think this is what Jesus is talking about and what he's trying to communicate rather than, hey, here's the policy that you need to follow. Does that make sense? I think the Pharisees may be looking for that. Here's, you know, if, if this situation occurs, turn to page five, you know, section B, paragraph two. Oh, no, that's not your situation? We'll go to this situation. You know, if that's your situation, go to chapter seven, you know, line, subsection B. That's not what Jesus is doing here. What he's trying to communicate is the sanctity of marriage and the beauty of it. Therefore, the question is, is when it comes to our understanding of marriage, where are we at? 
is our hearts and our understanding in line with how God understands and sees and his heart be with marriage, or is it where it's somewhere else? Okay. And I would suggest to you, this is where, you know, we bring up our culture today. I think our culture has a distorted view of marriage. It, it doesn't align with God's view of marriage and, and it communicates that to us and it affects us. And, and that's why we see a lot of brokenness. So that's, that's the aspect of marriage. Okay, I'm going to jump to, because of time, I want to jump to this next section. And friends, I am not, I can't, I, I'm not covering everything. I know there's a lot of questions. Let me get to this, uh, this next section then, and then hopefully I can wrap some, some things up at the end. But this next section um, is with, um, after he talks with the Pharisees and answers the Pharisees, the disciples are hearing this conversation and they jump in. So this, this question or this response is coming from a different direction. It's coming from the disciples. So verse 10 says, the disciples said to him, if such is the case of a man with his wife, it is better not to marry. So they're taking this to another extreme. Whoa. If this is uh, the, the sacredness of marriage, if it's so holy and so, and, and the, the parameters are so tight, let's just go the other direction. Now let's look at how Jesus responds to this. And he's using this illustration of eunuchs, which is very interesting. And we won't be able to get into all of it, but Here's how he responds. Verse 11, not everyone can receive this saying. That's important. Not everyone can receive this saying, but only those whom it is given. So some can receive this, some cannot. Here's the illustration that he uses. For there are eunuchs who have been so from birth, and there are eunuchs who have been made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let the one who is able to receive this, receive it. This, so here's the point. This is an issue of who is able to live a life of singleness and therefore live a life of celibacy. So the two here go hand in hand. This is of singleness and celibacy, right? Um, so when the Bible speaks about sexual immorality, it is covering all kinds of sexual sins that is outside of the bounds of a marriage between a man and a woman. So it is, it is all out of bounds here. So he's talking about, hey, there is, um, God has given some, some can receive this when it comes to singleness. Some can receive this singleness and therefore remain celibate. But there's some who can't. So let me go through this part of it. Jesus gives an illustration of the kinds of people who are able to do this, to remain single. And it's very interesting how he uses uh, eunuchs um, and how, of course, they have to be celibate, right? There's, they have no choice to remain. But it's the question of not that they're celibate, but why they are celibate. And it's basically this, that there are people who live single lives because they were born that way. There are people who live single lives because of what others or how the environment has affected them or what, how others have affected them. And I'm talking about maybe ways that are not good. 
could be some type of abuse, but, but they're single because of that. Or there are people who are single and live single lives for the purpose or the expansion of the kingdom of God. So there's these different categories in which people stay single. All right. But singleness, and, and I think the point is, is that singleness, just like marriage, is a gift from God and not everyone is meant to be married, and not everyone is meant to be single. I think that's what he's bringing up here. So when the disciples go, well, then throw out marriage. Let's just be single. No, no, no. There are some who God has given the gift to be single and to stay single, but not everybody receives that gift. There's another gift, though, and we already talked about that. It's from, you know, from the very beginning of creation, and that is marriage. So in a way, you know, we living this out have to kind of, it takes, requires discernment. Am I made for singleness or am I made for marriage? All right. So let me, let me close with this. Let me give the reflection questions and then I'm going to hopefully try to tie some things up that I think need to be tied up. So here's some reflection questions when it comes to this passage. Number one, are there ways of thinking you have about marriage and divorce or singleness that should be reconsidered? Are there ways that we view marriage and divorce and even singleness that are more cultural, that comes from our culture, that we need to change and alter and reform? That's number one. Here's number two. Where do you find your heart hardened and resistant to God's good purposes in your life? Where do you find your heart hardened or resistant to God's good purposes in your life? And I think those are the broad ideas that Jesus is trying to reveal to us. Because it's not about, um, I mean, it's issues of marriage and divorce and singleness, but it also it it's more importantly, it's about our hearts and where our hearts are at when it comes to these issues. Okay. All right. So let me, let me close with this because I don't know how well I covered this, but many of us in this room have experienced and have gone through, uh, others or even ourselves have gone through marriage and divorce and, and, um, and singleness. And so let me, um, kind of make this statement because this is what I don't want you to hear is that, well, let me say it in this way. I think that every situation is different. And I think it's very dangerous for us to try to form, and we do have a marriage and divorce policy, but we try to carefully structure it in a way where um, it isn't so conservative and so tight that it that actually hurts people and breaks what God intended to be good and what's important. So when it comes to the Bible and the Bible unpacking these things, the Bible doesn't give us an exhaustive policy of marriage and divorce. There's some gray areas. And because there's gray areas, that means we should make allowance for grace. So there's truth and we want to follow the truth. There are these ideals that we want to move towards, but we know that we're going to fall short. And the beautiful thing is that's exactly why Jesus came. 
and died on the cross is because we will fall short. And there is much grace and forgiveness. So where there is sin and where, there's, where you feel like you might have fallen short, where there may be guilt and shame, I would say this, hey, it's okay for there to be guilt and shame, at least for a time, but it's not good to wallow in guilt and shame. Yes, there's times for conviction and feel guilty for, for mistakes and for sin, but then there needs to be a time when we turn. That's the call of repentance, right? There's a time where Jesus says, repent, turn, and follow me. And so let me give that message out there in, in that way where, yes, there is these ideals and, and we're called to follow in that way. There's times when we're going to fall short. There's mistakes that we made in the past. There's situations that, we, that are out of our control. And there's a way in which, you know what, we can take those things, give them to the Lord Jesus and say, you know what, I'm starting new. I'm starting on this path following you. So I want to close this time uh, and this message in that way. Because, yes, there's truth, and we need to try to figure out what that is and try to live toward it, towards it. But there's also grace. And so with that, let me close in prayer. Heavenly Father, we come before you. We thank you for this time. We thank you for your word and for this difficult topic of marriage and divorce and singleness, and we did not cover everything Oh, but Lord, I just, I just pray that, one, that we would, as a body of believers, walk graciously together through these difficult issues. We are in a world that's, that is a mess because of sin. We're affected by it. We sin, but also we've been sinned against, and it creates such a mess, and we're just trying to walk through this as best we can. So, Lord, may we do that united and with our hearts and our minds focused on following Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's sermon. Make sure you come back next week to hear the next message in our series.